This is the Spurs Cast with your host, Paul Garcia. And welcome back to another episode of the Spurs Cast. In today's episode, I'll be joined by Project Spurs writer Colin Reed, where we'll discuss teams with trade player exceptions, the latest trade rumors, and the Spurs in their last four games. Let's go ahead and jump right into this episode with Colin. Colin, you were on here about two weeks ago. How how have you been? Yeah, pretty good. You know, uh, it's kind of that time of the year where basketball itself is kind of steadying out and we're getting into kind of transaction season. You know, we have trade and then all-star and then you know, only March and then all of a sudden the playoffs start. So it's kind of like the basketball portion is kind of steadying out, but we have a lot of exciting stuff on the calendar coming up. Man, normally January is like that time where like things get a little slow, you know, in the, in the basketball world. And, um, you know, just the games are kind of just there. They're just there on the schedule. But man, that game on, uh, what was it, Monday evening in Philly or MB1 mm-hmm. for 70? Oh my, that was just, wow. That was, that was, that was something to watch there. <laughs> All right. So let's, we're going to talk about that game a little bit later here. But let's first begin with one of the topics I had told Spurscast listeners I really wanted to dive into. And I finally had some time to do that. And that was um, the, the trade player exceptions that other teams have. And I was really seeing, um, you know, whether, uh, the, the contracts of, of Doug McDermott or Jetty Osmond could be, um, you know, absorbed into one of these trade player exceptions from different teams. So what I did over the weekend was I really, um, you know, I, I basically uh, got all my, my, my cap sheets accurately. You know, I, I did as many transactions to figure out basically where everybody was um, uh, uh, cap wise. I, I figured out exactly where the TPEs are. And then of course on uh what was this uh, on Tuesday that we're recording the, 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 the Hornets and the heat two teams that one of the teams I'm going to talk about, they make a trade for Terry Rozier to the heat, but luckily for us, um, it's, it doesn't impact their cap sheet too, too much. They actually um, open up some, some room for, uh, for, for themselves on, under the tax. So, what we're going to first begin with is I have all I'm going to list I'm going to list some teams for you where I found I couldn't find a good reason uh, why the, these teams should trade for either Doug McDermott or Jetty Osmond. And it could be for a multiple uh, number of reasons. It could be that maybe there wasn't enough roster space. They're already capped out at 15 players on the roster. Maybe uh, uh, adding Jetty or, or, or Doug could put them um, over the tax or maybe even further into the second apron or first apron. It could be that they're a, a rebuilding team. Um, and then, um, so there's just a multiple, uh, good, I just couldn't find a good case. So I'm going to tell you those teams first. And if you're intrigued by any of them to tell me, for me to tell you their case, let me know. So there's the Atlanta Hawks who have a $23 million trade exception. The Brooklyn Nets um, have a 19 19- 18 and six million to a 6.8 million dollar trade exception so basically um the hawks and the nets could fit in doug's contract uh the nets could fit in um actually or 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 jetty's contracts the bulls have a 10.2 million dollar disabled player exception which can be used to to, almost like a trade exception to 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 acquire a player in a trade uh the memphis grizzlies have a 7.4 million dollar trade exception which could fit uh, jetty's contract the trailblazers have an 8.7 and 8.3 million dollar trade exception that could fit jetty's contract and then the Raptors have a $10 million trade exception and the Wizards have a $12 million trade exception, which could, uh, uh, both of those could fit um, Jetty's contract. So again, these are the, I have, I have my reasons why I don't think any of these, these teams would make a, a trade for either Doug or, or Jetty. Do you want, do you want me to expound any, any further or, or do you agree with those, those teams that I listed? I think so. I mean, cause I, I'm not quite sure just off the top of my head, which ones are like tax reasons or this kind of stuff. But for mm-hmm. me, a lot of those situations are like, I think the best situation for these teams are going to be like high level contending teams or playoff teams where they have a hole in the rotation that these players are going to fit. Um, I don't know how much sense it makes for like, like Brooklyn, who's even maybe like in a middle tier of the NBA, like what, what kind of sense does it make for them to get Jetty or like what kind of sense does it make for Memphis or Toronto to get Jetty? So no, that makes a lot of sense to me. Exactly. Yeah. That's kind of what you're looking for is you're looking for more contender type teams 
Plus, they got to have those those second round picks available, and that's that's one issue um, that I that I also found as I was going through some of these teams. Okay, so again, those are the teams that probably you can't really make a strong case for. Again, I don't I don't see them um, uh, making a play uh, making a trade for for Jetty or for uh, Doug McDermott. So these next two things, these next three teams, I do see uh, you know a possible Jetty trade. Um, just again, just kind of opening the door, just looking looking at these teams. Now, for these three teams, I'm about to name um, Doug McDermott's salary would not fit in either of these these three teams' um, um, uh, trade exceptions. So let's first begin with the Miami Heat. They have a $9.4 million trade exception and a $7.2 million trade exception. So either of those trade exceptions could be used to, to absorb uh, Jetty's contract. So let's look at some of the positives, why I think this could happen, and then the negatives, why it may not. Uh, for for one, um, let's see here. They do have one open roster spot, so they don't have to waive a player or trade a player. So they could, they can, there are 14 players on their, on their roster. They're, with this new deal for Rozier, they're they're currently nine million dollars below the second apron, which means if they added Jetty, yes, they'd still be a tax team, which they already are, but they'd still be about two point three million dollars shy of that second apron. So they're still kind of where they are, um, and even with adding Jetty, so financially, yes, it puts on a little bit more on on their salary sheet, uh, his contract, but but not as much. Uh, they also have, you know, they have some players there at the, at the, at the wing position you know, they got Jimmy Butler, they got Jaime Hawkins Jr. And they have um, um, the Martin brother, Isaac Caleb or Cody, one, one of the Martin brothers. I think it's, yeah, I think it's Cody there. Cody. Okay. So, what, so. One of the Martin <laughs> yeah. brothers there. So they have some depth there, but we do know that like Jimmy Butler's, um, you know, get, he always sits on games. He's, he's hurt a lot. The same thing for, for, for um, Caleb Martin or Cody Martin. So again, they could, they could use uh, some depth there with Jetty, um, you know, going forward as the season ends. Plus I think he could also, you know, have, have a chance of cracking their, their playoff rotation the one negative for them in terms of, of giving the spurs an asset back a second round pick is that they don't really have their own second round picks going forward they have a lot of picks that have different protections or or if this happens that happens you know that kind, those kind of trade scenarios they made a lot of different transactions over the over the, the last few years so that's first the heat uh now let's look at the knicks why i think we could maybe and maybe not build a case for them the knicks um also they have a 6.8 million dollar trade exception which which does fit jetty's contract they have one open roster spot as well so again 14 players on the on, the, on their roster which means they have one open spot this deal one, one negative is that it would put them into the tax mm. but we don't we do know the knicks are a team that are trying to win i mean they're they're what four or five seed in the east uh they do have some some depth there more i would say uh, smaller players there more at the wing um such as like um um og ananobi they just traded for josh hard dante divincenzo they could use a little bit more size uh, yeah, they could add some size and then, um, they do have some of their second round picks. So that's actually a positive for them as they have, they have a few second rounders available. And now, uh, let me get to the third team and then I'll let you just got, kind of get your thoughts here. The last team is Philly. Um, in, in their category, I said, probably no, but let's say at least listen kind of, kind of thing here. So they also have a $6.8 million trade exception, which would fit Jetty's contract. They don't have roster space right now. They're, they're maxed out of 15 players. So again, that's one negative for Philly. Uh, they are $2.4 million under the first apron. So adding Jetty would put them over the first apron. Um, they do have uh, picks wise. They do have some, some future seconds. And then they have some depth there at the three fours. They have um, Nick Batum. They have Kelly Oubre Jr. They have Tobias Harris. Even, even though he doesn't play, they also have Robert Covington as well. So they have a number of options there at the wing. So um, just kind of give me your thoughts. Do any of those three teams intrigue you in terms of trying to uh, possibly make a trade for Jetty? So... I think the big holdup with the Heat being their the assets they send back, I do think, is a real holdup. I think when we started talking about these teams, that was one that kind of came to mind immediately. You know, you have a toolsy wing who, if he's willing to buy into like their training program and their system, like you know, you could see something ridiculous happening where one of the wings in the rotation gets hurt in a playoff series, and Jetty comes in and gives you thirty minutes of solid playing that wins them a playoff game. Like that's the Miami Heat. Um, 
And I think the thing I like about them best out of the three of the teams you mentioned was, in my mind, while Jetty is good and I think he can fit a rotation spot, if I were in a front office, he's not the kind of player I'd be going over a threshold, whether that's the first apron or the tax or anything like that. I don't know if I'd be going over that threshold just for Jenny. So let's say the Knicks make a move. They make another move where um, they're becoming more competitive. They're bringing in a good bit of talent and that puts them over the tax. Then maybe you start looking at Jenny, right? But like if it's, if it's just strictly we're not in the tax and now we're going to be, um, I, I just think the way that teams operate, I don't know because you're paying kind of twice at that point. You're paying yeah. mm-hmm. what you're sending out and also you're paying the the tax. So, and then the same is true with the first apron um, for Philly, especially just kind of, they, they have a little bit more of a glut of wing talent, like you said there. So to me, the heat make the most sense, but um, that would almost be, and I, I'm not foreseeing this happening, but that would almost be more of like a buyout situation, which you can't use a TPE on because you know, the Spurs, if you are trading, the Spurs aren't going to just take nothing back for him, you know? <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and especially for the fact that, and you know, Doug is as well, but like Jetty is like a rotation player. You kind of want something in return for a rotation player. You don't want to just like trade that out and not have anything to fill that when you're um, taking the court, even if it's just some picks or something. Okay. Yeah. I think my, again, again, I wasn't really strong on either of these three options, but I, again, if I felt like there was the best option, I think Miami has the best case. Like you made a great point there about, you know, Philly and, um, and New York, not crossing the, the aprons to, to just to add a player like Jetty. And and then one thing we do want to comment to is that these are just trade player exceptions and disabled player exceptions. We're not, I haven't even looked at like player for player kind of trades. There are some other deals that contenders could make with the Spurs to try to figure out maybe how to acquire Doug or, um, or, or Jetty. Um, uh, you know, again, just using more, so more so using the players. These are, this is, just something that i want to explore is kind of who fits there in those tpes from different teams and so like i said there's not really a lot of options there this is kind of something that i explored early early on in the um preseason when, when the spurs were over the contract limit or they had a, a number of players that they had to, to, to waive or trade and so that was something that i've kind of explored it's kind of the same scenario um even even just a few months later all right, so now for our next topic, let's let's talk about some just the latest trade uh, trade rumor mill update. So there hasn't been a lot lately in the last you know in the last week since the last recorded Spurscast episode. It's kind of been some of the same topics. Uh, mainly Dejounte Murray uh, has been mentioned still. Uh, so, so there's just some new updates on him. Uh, so I'll go through those um, rumors. So regarding Dejounte, uh, Michael Scotto of Hoops Hives recently had an article where he 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 reported that the Hawks aren't looking to take back salary past the season in a Murray trade. So that's interesting because that's something that we talked about is, you know, what if the heat, what if the Hawks want, you know, a player like Keldon Johnson, a quality, I mean, uh, you know, a, a really good young player, quality player. So that's why I was like, oh, maybe like Doug McDermott's salary and, and Jetty's salary or like Devontae Graham's salary and a uh, Jetty's contract, uh, figure out, figure out a deal for the Spurs and Hawks. Um, so those kind of deals would work. But then uh, just recently, I think it was on Monday morning, Chris Haynes of Bleacher Report, he was on a podcast with Mark Stein. And then Haynes reported, though, that that yes, Atlanta wants two, wants two first round picks for Murray, but also a quality player. So then it's like, oh, if that's the case, you know, they're probably, you know, Kelton probably ends up being a player uh, there that, that that Atlanta might look look at. 
Uh, and then uh, regarding Devontae Graham, he was mentioned in, in, in some reporting, um, according to Jake Fisher of Yahoo Sports, um, he, he mentioned that that Graham is available in trade discussions from what he's heard. And this is basically very obvious. We know that, you know, Graham hasn't been, hasn't been part of the Spurs' rotation at all this year. He has a $12.1 million contract this season. And the next year, he has a $12.6 million contract, but only two point eight is guaranteed. So I think it's just, uh, you know, it's just obvious to have Devontae in trade rumors, considering that he's not even in the Spurs' rotation. What are your thoughts on um on that, that Murray, those, those latest two? Murray rumors. Yeah, so just the Devonte Graham one, real quick, because oh, yeah. I can knock that out pretty fast. Um, I think that if I were a rival team and I felt like he could bolster my point guard rotation or my guard rotation, I might not put my most competitive offer forward because, like you just said, he's completely out of the rotation. They owe him twelve million this year, and while he is under contract for next year, it's only two million dollars guaranteed. Like that is a buyout candidate if I've ever heard one. Um, and I, if I were another team, I would probably kind of see if I could gauge the market. And if there is none, I would just wait and see how that buyout goes. Because, you know, if he's completely, a lot of the times when a player wants to play and they're not in the rotation and they're not like the Spurs have accommodated them. Yes. Um, mm-hmm. So I don't know how he feels. You know, this is more of a report that the Spurs are willing to move on from him. It doesn't really talk about how he himself is viewing the situation, but I would view him as a pretty prime uh, buyout candidate. So with DeJounte, um, I think they were getting into the sunk cost fallacy a little bit here. I think that Atlanta, they want to win the PR battle. They want to win the press conference. You know, I think they're a little bit afraid because they just traded for DeJounte like 18 months ago or so. And now I think they're concerned of what it's going to look like if they don't get the same return back. I think even Mm -hmm. yesterday or the day before, Woj had a quote that was something along the lines of like, the Hawks want to live in a world where they get a similar return back for DeJounte with what they gave up or something like that. He phrased it in a way that basically was like, they're being a little bit delusional about it right now. You know, like they're not going to get what they gave up for him. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think Mm -hmm. what's interesting to me is this posturing is coming after because like, I understand they want to reset. I understand they want to pivot and go in a new direction, but there's nothing forcing them to do that by the trade deadline uh, in terms of moving Murray. And yet when we last talked and even since then, the reporting is very strong that they're like, I would be shocked if he was a Hawk after February yes. 8th. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, so like now all of a sudden, you showed your hand, which is like, we are definitely going to trade this guy. And now you have to build up some leverage because like, if I'm the Lakers, I'm saying like, well, if I'm the only team offering you D'Angelo Russell and a first and then kind of a fake first and no one else is getting close to that, like, why are you saying no to me if you're going to have to trade him by the trade deadline? So I feel like some of this is posturing. Mm-hmm. And I do think, um, even though I don't think he's going to end up on the Spurs, I do think the fact that they are desperate to move him is what does open the window for the Spurs to kind of swoop in there with something like um, kind of like how I just said the Lakers trade. It was going to be, uh, you know, D'Angelo Russell, a first and then maybe like a, a swap or something. I think that they're probably going to get to a point where a quality rotation player plus a first plus like a fake first, you know, like Charlotte, mm-hmm. the Charlotte first at the Spurs zone, something like that. That's probably going to become the price before this is all said and done. I think that they're just kind of stuck now backpedaling and doing some posturing because they artificially drove down the market with the way that they've been 
so desperate to move on from him. So, yeah, I think I think that's interesting that that reporting has come out. I don't foresee them. I, I, I think whatever the trade is, people are going to kind of clown on them a bit for for the difference between what it costs to get them. And like, that's just, it's already done. So they can't really think about that. They just have to do the best trade they can. But I think right now they're just posturing in my opinion. Okay. I like what you said there. I, I think also regarding the Spurs, it's like, they're kind of just waiting to sit back and sing. Like you said, they can kind of swoop in because there are more. Everybody in your crew identifies as either big Mac burger, McNuggets or McCrispy sandwich. But you're the filet fish sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Teams being mentioned almost daily. Like we got the Milwaukee Bucks now in the conversations. You got uh, the Brooklyn Nets. There's just a bunch of different teams that have been added to this conversation. But, you know, as I, I look away from afar, you know, you just know that the Spurs have the best. You know, they could they can put together the best trade package. Again, they won't send that best trade package, but maybe they'll see whatever, like, Atlanta's about to decide on and say, okay, we can beat that with this. And so, because they have all, you know, they have the you know, the draft capital or even they have some of the some of the players if, if um, that Atlanta might want. Uh, so, so, again, I think for San Antonio, like, you're right. Maybe they're not going to be super aggressive in trying to, to land DeJounte, but if there's an opportunity, a good opportunity uh, uh, available, then I think that, like you said, they might swoop in and try and, and you know, get a little bit more aggressive there. Mm-hmm. Uh, regarding DeJounte and again that's kind of the where, where the trade discussions uh lie at this point again we're about two weeks out from from the trade deadline so again we'll continue to see uh if more rumors come out in these in these next two weeks all right so our last topic Colin let's actually talk about the basketball games here the last four games for the Spurs um they did get a win, so that's that's one of the good. That's one good positive. Uh, so last, let's go back to last Wednesday. Uh, they were at, on the road at Boston. They ended up losing by 19 points. Uh, they were close for about uh, for about the first quarter, but then Boston took control in the next three quarters. Uh, Boston led by as much as 30. The Spurs did fight back a little bit. Um, at Wemby ends up with 27 points in seven in 27 minutes. Then on Friday, the Spurs are at Charlotte last week. Uh, they ended up losing by four. There was no Wemby. He was out again due to, to rest. Uh, this was a close game throughout. Charlotte led by 12 at the end of the third quarter. The Spurs fought back. They got the game within crunch time, but they couldn't make the full comeback. And so um, the Charlotte ends up winning. Kelden had a great night that night with 25 points off the bench. Then on Saturday, the second night of a back-to-back on, at the, on, on the road at Washington, uh, the Spurs get a four-point win. It was a very close game throughout. Um, Washington ends up taking a 12-point lead with five minutes on the clock. And I, I thought this game was over. Like, I was, like, about to start getting ready to type my, you know, the Spurs or blah, blah, blah when they lose this many games. Uh, so I was like, getting ready to start typing out those stats. No, the Spurs, they make that comeback in the final five minutes. Um, they get the stops that they need. Make They make the plays that they need to. And they end up winning by four points. Wemby had an incredible game with 24 points, six blocks in just 28 minutes. And then the historic night on Monday in Philly. The Spurs lose by 10. It's a close game game for about a half. Then in the second half, Philly kind of pulls away. They end up going um going up uh, by double digits. Uh Wemby has a 33.9, which is like, you know, it's really good. It's a sec- it's his second um highest scoring night of his career. In this young season, he ends up with um what was it, 11 free throws were, were his career high as well. I think yeah. you had tweeted something about that. And so yeah. he, again, Wemby's having a great game. Well, guess what? Joe Allen beat overshadowed his game and just every other player game in the NBA with a historic 70-point night, which was a Sixers um, um friend franchise record for a single game. It was also the most points a Spurs opponent has ever scored against San Antonio. So Wemby, I mean, not Wemby, uh, Embiid had a, just an incredible night there, historic night uh, with those 70 points. And, and he basically, um, you know, in, in not even a lot of minutes, 
Uh, so where, where, how did the Spurs do last week or these last four games? They uh, Vegas said they go 0-4. They ended up well surpassing that going 1-3. And, and then what I really want to focus on, too, after this is um, after your thoughts is uh, Wemby's last 11 games. He's really done a great job of of scoring 20-plus uh, points or more in 10 of those last 11 games. So let's just look at his, his averages right now in the last 11 games. And again, he's been on a minutes restriction during this point. So basically in 25 minutes a night, he's averaging 25 points. 53% shooting from the floor, 35% on threes, 87% from the free throw from the free throw line. He's getting to the line 6.1 free throw attempts per game. He's collecting 8.6 rebounds, 3.5 blocks, and then lastly 3.1 assists to 2.8 turnovers. And again, these are in his last 11 games played. What are your thoughts on the Spurs recently um in their last few games and also Wemby specifically? Yeah, uh quickly touching on Embiid 70 points real quick. You know, um the Spurs have been bailed out of some bad publicity this season. You know, when they went on a franchise record losing streak, the mm -hmm. Pistons were going on literally an NBA record losing streak. And I think that kind of bailed them out of the public perception. And last night, I thought that was going to happen too, because Cat had 53 points with eight minutes left in the third. So I thought instead of Embiid scored 70 points on the Spurs, it was going to be like, oh, Embiid and Cat scored 70 points tonight. And Cat uh, did tail off. A little bit before the end. Um, I think kind of just going backwards, starting with that game, you know, I think that Zach Collins brings a lot to the table offensively. And I know that um, for whatever reason, and we appreciate everyone listening, we, we do have people who listen who are big Charles Bassey fans, as I've seen in the YouTube comments. And I this one's for them. When I say, like, I do think the Spurs miss Charles Bassey quite a bit right now. You know, you mm -hmm. can see it in their big rotation. Um, the on-off splits right now with Wimby, when he checks out of the game, like, it's, and I think it was a little bit better with Barlow, but, like, neither Barlow nor Collins are, like, near the defensive level mm -hmm. that Wimby is. And Bassey isn't, you know, like, seven foot four, you know, one of the best rim-protecting prospects of all time, but he can hold his own on that end. And I think mm -hmm. right now, if I'm looking at the Spurs rotation, it's that backup rim protector when Wimby, especially now that he's on a minutes limit, well, hopefully he won't be for much longer based on some of the reporting we've heard. But when he comes out, that just, that it's a little bit um, easy to score on the Spurs inside. And we saw that last night, you know I mean? Like obviously some of the scoring was on Wimby, but I think someone had like the matchup stats for that game. It was like, I don't know, like 12 or 16 points on Wimby of his 70, you know? And so um, part of me, does feel like that that's kind of a big hole that they have right now in terms of every time he comes off the court, it feels like they're bleeding points to some degree. Um, the other thing is this team is looking a lot better than they were in November and early December, yes. which has been a very good thing to see. I think it's very difficult for people to really hold on to the thought process, but the Spurs have eight wins. They're not getting the plan. So like, we just need to let go of wins and losses because like it, mm -hmm. At this point, it's about the, like the development word. As I said, I realize that there's people that are going to be rolling their eyes when they hear that. But like, what what we need to be looking for from this team is not can they win 40 games by the end of the year? Like, like uh, what was that 2015 or 2016 when the Heat went 11 and 30 in their first 41 games, and then 30 and 11 in their last? You know, the Spurs aren't going to be doing that this year. As a little spoiler alert, but if you continue to see growth and you continue to see um cohesion like I, I think that one of the big underestimated parts is 
all these players needed to learn how to play with Wimby, and Wimby needed to learn how to play with them. And this is touching on the point you talked about about his last 11 games. I think something that's really stood out to me is every time you hear Wimby talk, you know, Pop talks about his basketball IQ being so high. He talks about trying to, like, play the game the right way and winning for his team and all that kind of stuff. I feel like he came in, and obviously he was great from the jump, but I almost feel like he was trying to be too accommodating to his teammates. Like, oh, I'm going to play the right way. I'm going to make sure that I'm passing at the right times. I'm going to make sure that Devin Vassell gets his and all that kind of stuff. And then when he went on his minutes limit, it was like there was a shift in his brain where he realized I only have 24 minutes to go out there and like do what I can do. And like the aggressiveness just ramped up quite a bit. And ever since that moment, he's been a different player, which is crazy because he was already good before that, but it's just like he's taken a whole new step. And I think, that took a while for him to get to that point because I think he's like, I'm the rookie. Like I want to be, you know, yeah. accommodating of my teammates and all that. So that's, that I think has been a big key to that. I also think the lineups have been, and this has been talked to death about yes. in the Spurs discourse, but I do think like I, the other thing I had tweeted today that, you know, is it Sohan's on off numbers are looking great now that he's playing his natural position again. Mm-hmm. I think Sohan is such a confidence player and when he has that confidence and when he has that moxie, he's able to do things on the court that maybe don't show up in the stat sheet, but he's like really impacting the game. He's one of those guys that impacts the game sometimes without the stats. And I think we could all tell by watching him that his confidence wasn't necessarily in a healthy place when he was doing the point guard stuff. And now that Trey Jones is back, or is now that Trey Jones is in the starting lineup, like those numbers with Trey Jones... Sohan and Wimby together in these last 11 games or in January are like amazing with those three on the court. So I feel like now that the positional stuff got, I understand the reasoning behind Sohan at point guard. And I understand the reasoning why you want to try Wimby at four at first. But now that those things have changed, this does look like an entirely different team, especially the starting lineup. I think now the biggest question is depth, especially with Branham falling out of the rotation a little bit. Um, You know, Keldon, is their really quality depth piece. And Blake Wesley is becoming that, which mm-hmm. I think is a surprise um, in terms of kind of where he was at summer league and where he was at the beginning of the season. But so you're talking about like two solid, solid rotation players off the bench um, and none of them are bigs like we were talking about. And I think that's where you're starting to see some of the, this is where the rotation needs to be built upon. So that's kind of how I feel like, honestly, you know, you just want to see that growth. And since we're seeing that, it's hard to like really get too amped up about one and three when it's like I can actually see like because before and we were talking about that on defense too. You just sit there going like I I think that that was overhelping, but I don't know if they were trying to switch. I don't know if they were in drop. I like I don't know what's happening on defense. It was in you know a lot of November, and now you can see like oh that player missed that coverage or that player kind of blew what they were trying to do on defense. But I can see what's happening and I can see them getting better. And that is such a difference from where it was two months ago. And I think that that's what we really need to hold on to and evaluate, because I think that's what's going to take this team from where they are this year to something more competitive as years come. Okay. Yes, for sure. I, I agree with you there. I think I, I wanted to give you credit though for something you mentioned two weeks ago was that fact about Wemby being on the administration, how it's kind of lit that fire in him where he knows he has to do as much as he can in those few, in those few minutes that he's out there. And I think that's one part of, uh, you know, it's not, it's obviously also rotations, just getting more comfortable with his teammates. You know, they're figuring him out. We see almost like two or three alley-oops a night now at this point from different teammates, but it's also like you said, I mean, he's, he knows he's only in there for a certain amount of time 
And then, you know, after that, you know, he has to, you know, his, his time is over. So I think he, he was really taking that as, as precious time. And it's where we saw him as, as so aggressive lately. And I know that, that the, uh, we're getting closer to him getting that minutes restriction lifted. You know, I know there's been some reporting out there pop as of, um, Monday evening, he said, you know, he doesn't know what the doctors will tell him when it, when it's over. But again, I think we are getting closer to that point. And so I do wonder if he'll keep that aggressiveness up once once there's like no set really um, number of minutes that he has to be out there on the court. And then um, uh, so you open up one door, though, that when you started talking about like how, how their depth, how they missed Charles Bassey. And so that's like, what is the long term plan with Zach Collins now? Because like, you know, that. You know, it doesn't work with Victor and Zach at the at the at the, at the four five. It's you know, it's Victor's best at, at the five we're seeing here, obviously. And then like you know, we saw there off the bench. Um, you know, Zach's great at like moving the ball, things like that, getting kind of that quarterback of the, of the second unit. Uh, he does a really good job of finding um, backdoor quarters, but they just gave him this big extension, not a big extension, you know, what is it, like 17, 18 million a year kind of kind of range in the next two two years. So what do you think um, might be long term with him? Just just how you were mentioning how they might need some some some, some def- defensive help there at the back at the backup five. Yeah, and, you know, they just gave him this extension in training camp because of, you know, so that I think that also goes to believe. Yeah, we talked about that in the preseason. I remember it was a podcast where Ben was on with us, and um, we talked about his extension. So that was in the preseason. So obviously they had very high hopes for him. I think, you know, maybe as you continue to bolster, you know, as we're talking about the the bench depth, right, if you get to a point where right now we're talking about, again, uh, Blake Wesley emerging is like a legitimately good player on defense off the bench. And then after that, um, the defense. So that was kind of the one thing you had with the way that the rotations were before was like, there was a mix of offense and defense on both lineups. Mm-hmm. And now it's like the starting lineup is great on defense and the backups are pretty good on offense, but they don't have a lot of the defense going for them. And so mm-hmm. if they were going to try to make it out, work out, maybe having, like another point of attack defender on the bench, maybe another okay. wing defender, like they're trying to bring that in. Um, but obviously like it, there comes a point where, um, you know, if, if Bassey was healthy, would he overtake him in the rotation? Because we've already seen this year that pop isn't afraid to bring people in and out of the rotation as they need to be. Like, you know, these are um, draft picks from one year ago when we talk about Wesley and Branham, you know, and a lot of the times when you're picked in the first round and you have like a lot of capital within your team, um, you don't just kind of flippantly go in and out of the rotation, but it's very clear that like pop is willing to make these adjustments as he needs to. So I would be interested just to see if they like listen on him in the summer. I don't think they're going to do anything by the deadline because I do think yeah, they, no need that, mm-hmm. um, they need that big depth right now, but yeah, it'd be, you know, Bassey's injury was a big bummer for a whole lot of reasons, but I would be interested right now to see if if he would kind of be starting to absorb some of those minutes if he was still uh, healthy. Yeah, and then the last thing I wanted to mention because I was I'm always because like, you 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 put a, put a lot of good points out there when you're in your discussion, <laughs> and so I'm trying to like remember because you, you mentioned some good stuff that I want to kind of recall. So one of the things you recalled was just. Again, maybe not the wins and losses we're looking at. We're looking at the the development, the growth. And I, I, you know, I'm a very, you know, you know me, I'm a huge numbers guy. And just the fact that yes, they fall behind by double digits and all this and, and that, but like, man, they really fight back. Like this this latest team since like December onward, like they're they're really they get back into ball games. I mean, you don't see these thirty point blowouts where they lose like by thirty six, thirty nine. They really get these games down to 10, 15 points. You know, they, that that's one sign of growth. And then just. 
since Trey Jones became the starting point guard, I've been putting up these graphs online where, man, their their uh, second half performance has just skyrocketed. I mean, they're winning third quarters a lot more often. Uh, they're, they're even competing there in the fourth. And so that's actually getting them back into ball games when they do fall behind pretty early. And, and obviously they haven't got off to the best of starts in some of these games. But I think that's also part of it, just that growth. And then even even at the at the midway point, I tweeted the stats the other day, on, I think it was on Sunday, uh, where, cause you know, the, the midway point officially came. And so I just kind of put all the numbers last year's team compared to this year's team. And man, almost in every category defensively, there's some, some improvement, you know, it may not be great improvement, maybe like, it, it, maybe like 25th compared to 30th, but there, there's some improvement in certain areas. And so I, de- I definitely think, like you said, there, there it's, we're going to have to treat the season going forward more so as a development season, you know, those, those hopes for like a play-in team from the Spurs this, this, this year, that that's gotta be out, you know, out the window at this point. But um, I think that's something to watch is just that development. Like you said, a guy like Sohan's just really up taking his game to another level now that he's back there at the four uh blake wesley's been a, you know you know uh doing a great job off the bench i know that i know it's coming at the expense of malachi Branham losing his minutes but yeah that's something to watch and then you know if they end up finding trades for for jetty and doug then we get to see maybe a guy like cd Sissoko, what he can do out on the court you know those those kind of players might start get to, to get some run as as the season ends all right so yeah that was that was a really good discussion again we'll kind of see what happens with zach too as i now that you brought that up so so that was a Interesting discussions there. All right. I want to say thank you to Colin for um, uh, for taking the time to, to join me here on the Spurs cast. Uh, if you like what you heard, please subscribe, rate, and review on YouTube and your favorite podcast apps. This episode was written, recorded, and produced by Paul Garcia from all of us at Project Spurs. Stay safe and have a great day. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.